I was talking to my mom about the idea of utopia, and she was saying that the original term utopia was sort of a joke. It was a play on words because utopia in Greek could mean a perfect place, but it could also mean nowhere. Utopia, perfection, is nowhere. In my mind, that suggests that being somewhere, anywhere, is always imperfect, even a little dystopic. And working as a journalist pretty much always means being somewhere. All right, we are in Washington, D.C. I'm Lewis Wallace, and we're walking towards a rally. It's part of the Women's March on Washington. Holy crap, there's a lot of people here. I'm just going to interject on myself here with some context. This was 2017. I was working at Marketplace, a public radio show. And I went to D.C. with friends the day of Trump's inauguration to document independently. We also recorded a lot of our own commentary along the way. I saw the New York Times did an article that was like, meet these bikers for Trump who are on their way to the U.S. Capitol. I was like, oh my God, that's so disgusting. Like, like I bet there were bikers for Obama, but uh-huh. they just like couldn't get it together because of white supremacy to be like, oh, you know, black bikers are a thing. By the way, I fact-checked this, and it's true. There were bikers for Obama, and the New York Times did not apparently cover them. I thought this 2017 coverage was part of a whole mainstream media fetish for studying white Trump supporters like they were some sort of special breed of human. Anyway, back to the Women's March in D.C. Not my president! What are your names and where are you here from? I'm Karen, and I'm from Silver Spring. Alyssa, I'm from Silver Spring. And um, what, what motivated you to come out today? It's hard to limit it to one or two things. Um, everything. I have friends that, that were on the Metro yesterday who were not coming for the inauguration and heard people chanting, you know, go back to Mexico, go back to the Middle East, get out of our country. I don't pass as white. I certainly don't pass as straight. And I'm just sitting here going, I, I, I feel like I'm in danger. So that's where I was, early 2017, talking to people who were scared because they were queer or non-Christian or black or brown. It had always been dangerous to be those things in the U.S., but it seemed to be getting more dangerous. And while we were worrying about our communities becoming less safe, the media was worrying about how many people showed up at Trump's inauguration. He claimed it was more than Obama's, despite clear photo evidence to the contrary. I went back into work Monday morning to replays of this. Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts to that. But the point remains... Alternative facts? So I had been working in national media for just about eight months, and now alternative facts were a thing. Before I went into public radio in 2012, I'd been an activist for years, focused on trans liberation and anti-racism. And now I was kind of freaking out. Like, what were we doing as journalists to combat rising white supremacy? What were we doing to protect freedom of the press and to fight back against alternative facts and lies? I think a lot of people, not just journalists, were asking these kinds of questions. Like, who am I going to be in this moment? 
But as journalists, the old dictates of objectivity said we shouldn't do anything. Just keep being journalists on the sidelines. And something about that didn't sit right with me. The week after the Women's March, I wrote this post on my personal blog called Objectivity is Dead and I'm Okay with It. I proposed that maybe journalists should stop attempting to appear neutral and instead in this moment claim our values to stand up against racism and transphobia and xenophobia. People might call us biased, but who cares? These were the same people who came up with alternative facts. They didn't care about truth in the first place. Marketplace asked me to take this blog post down. And when I refused a couple days later, the VP of the show flew in from LA, met me in a bistro in Midtown Manhattan, and said that I didn't want to do the kind of journalism they do there, impartial journalism. And then she fired me with an offer of two weeks severance. I walked outside, suddenly unemployed, and headed downtown on Lexington Avenue. This is The View From Somewhere, a podcast about journalism with a purpose. On the podcast, we'll explore the history of objectivity in journalism. We'll meet journalists who have stood against or outside of that idea, who have stood for something. We'll explore the problems of fake news and alternative facts, accusations of liberal bias, and what it means to be truth seekers in an era of bullshit. And we'll talk about how journalism can be less exploitive and racist, more liberatory and collective, and whose responsibility that is. I'm your host, Lewis Raven Wallace. A lot of this podcast is based on research I've been doing the last couple years for a book by the same name, The View From Somewhere. While I was working on the book, I met someone who'd also become kind of obsessed with the history of journalism, Ramona Martinez. She was a producer for an American history show called Backstory. I ended up meeting Ramona in Charlottesville in her kitchen in 2017, and we ate cheese and shot the shit, which, by the way, one of my big pet peeves is when people eat on the radio, like sampling food and smacking their lips and stuff like that. But this was not that. Uh, we just happened to be eating cheese. And at some point, Ramona said this thing that I couldn't get out of my head. Objectivity is the ideology of the status quo. It is. Now, two years later, she is the producer of this podcast. So I got to follow up with her, and here's us talking in 2019. And so unpack it a little. What do you mean when you say objectivity is the ideology of the status quo? I, I'm starting out from the understanding that an objective viewpoint is impossible because we all have something called ideology, like a system of ideas and values that we interpret the world through. And like no matter who you are, the way you're going to see the world and form opinions and even things that you think are true or, or, or factual are based on like your background, right? So if you can never escape ideology, therefore what is considered objective or neutral is like really only a matter of like social agreement or like the ideological consensus of the majority or the status quo. Which is easy to go along with if you agree with the social agreement, like objectivity as the ideology of the status quo is 
easy to accept if the status quo reflects your experience and your identity. Exactly. So to give like a concrete example, if I were living in, you know, the turn of the century and I were a suffragette, I'd be like, hey, women are just as smart as men and we deserve to like be in politics. But that viewpoint would have been considered like extreme and non-objective. Right. And you, Ramona, have a lot of experience with this because you worked at sort of the mothership of quote unquote objective news journalism, the NPR newscast desk for quite a while. Right. So how did that play out? Like, how did you come to all of this while you were working in that environment? Most stories would kind of come and go without too much thought because, you know, we we edit, gosh, we intake so many stories an hour. But in 2014, I remember after the Supreme Court ruled on the Hobby Lobby decision, um, just to recap really quick, they ruled that uh, businesses were allowed to use uh, sort of their religious freedom or their religious values to not provide employees with birth control, which was mandated under Obamacare. And I, I was so upset by this decision that I posted on my Facebook, SCOTUS, you motherfuckers. I said that on my Facebook. NPR has a very strict ethics policy that makes it so that you cannot express political views on any kind of social media, including Facebook. Luckily, it was my I was a first time offender, so I only got a wrist slap and a talking to. And I guess like I felt like I couldn't as a woman publicly hold the view that I should have bodily autonomy and work for NPR. And so at what point does your role as a reporter or in your case, a producer of news conflict with just your own humanity? if you're one of the people who's being targeted or whose body is being controlled in a certain way. Absolutely. And that's what I said to the person I was speaking to was, well, what happens when they overturn Roe v. Wade? Am, am, am I going to have to choose between, you know, going to like lie in the street versus having a job? And he was like, yeah, I guess we're all going to have to make those choices. But what I realized was like, no, you're never going to have to make that choice, man. You're never going to have to make that choice. Right. You're never going to have to make that choice if your ideas, your identity and experiences all fit neatly into the mainstream idea of what's acceptable, which is all about who has power, whose stories get told and believed, which is all about race and gender and class and ability. Ramona and I came across a really useful framework for talking about the range of acceptable debate, which I want to tell you about now because it will come up a lot in the podcast. It's called Hallen's Spheres of Consensus. Yeah, I love Hallen's Spheres. This is David Mindich. He's a journalism professor at Temple University. So Daniel Hallen, who wrote a book called The Uncensored War, which is about the Vietnam War, um, looked at objective journalism um, through uh, painting three concentric spheres. So picture an inner circle, a middle circle, and a big outer circle. And the innermost sphere, it was called the, the sphere of consensus. And it's the, it's the area that we all agree on. So um, from the American perspective, we all agree that apple pie is a good thing and baseball is a good thing. <laughs> Well, I don't know if we all agree, but the sphere of consensus can also be summed up as dominant ideology. 
Things like capitalism is good, patriotism is good, opinions you can say on the news and probably not get reprimanded or fired. The middle circle is called the sphere of legitimate controversy. The sphere of legitimate controversy um, is the area in which things are debated. So if you look at a typical news story about, let's say, tax policy or abortion rights, um, there are a bunch of different competing ideas that get put in the sphere of legitimate controversy. That's the, the sphere that the news story is reflected in. So that includes stuff like Democrats versus Republicans, debates over constitutional rights, how much taxation, or these days, gay rights. Then there's my personal favorite sphere. The outer sphere, um, the third sphere, is called the sphere of deviance. Um, and Hallen says that those are the ideas that really don't make it into a news story. Um, so if you did a story about um, uh, a murder case, you wouldn't say we really need a pro-murder view. But this deviant outside sphere could include all kinds of things. For example, when I came out as queer and transgender in the late 1990s, the idea that there were more than two genders was in the sphere of deviance, which meant in mainstream media at least that it just wasn't talked about or debated. And what's really important is that what is in these spheres changes over time. So if you look back at the 19th century, um, the sphere of consensus included uh, for many the idea that, that slavery was a positive good. Um, then uh, slavery um, was moved into the sphere of legitimate controversy. And finally, um, now to get a pro-slavery view, um, you wouldn't really find that in a, um, in a current news story because pro-slavery has slipped into the sphere of, of deviance um, for the last hundred years. Um, it has been deplatformed, you might say. Yes, yes. Deplatformed is a good way of, of, of phrasing it. So Helen's spheres are a way of looking at what's considered acceptable discourse. And what's key here is that journalists collaborate with the public on moving questions from deviance to legitimate controversy to consensus. What we decide to cover, what debates we give airtime, these determine what's in these spheres. And that doesn't always shift in the direction of justice. The influence of journalists was very much on my mind when I was at the Women's March after Trump's inauguration. That afternoon, we actually bumped into those bikers for Trump. So yeah, there's like 15 people at the bikers for Trump rally. There were a handful of Trump supporters there, and then a bunch of women's marchers arguing with them. Yes, he is. He's a fucking racist. They were Ironically, I'm a fucking rape survivor, and I'm sorry, it's fucking bullshit. How do you know this to be true? And so much of this debate came down not just to what values people held, but what they even believed to be true. Was Trump a rapist? Was Trump a racist? And then you mocking a New York Times reporter? Somebody disabled? He tells, he tells lies about whole groups of people. He called Mexicans rapists. He talks about black... 
Well, are they rapists? He's spreading disinformation and he's terrifying people about Muslims and Somalis. These people are my friends. Suffering of what? Suffering about Journalists were running around trying to fact check and fight against Trump's disinformation, but it wasn't working. It was clear to me at this point that saying we were doing just the facts was not enough to justify and clarify our role as journalists. We needed to ask ourselves hard questions. Like, what will our facts be in the service of? Fascism or democracy? Capitalism or collectivity? Anti-racism or white supremacy? And what is the best response to alternative facts? Should we debate them? Can we be fair while also owning our own point of view? I knew we couldn't erase these questions by just pretending they weren't there. I know this much. We all come from somewhere, a perspective, an ideological lens that's influenced in some way by power and oppression. And let's be real, being somewhere, anywhere on this earth can be kind of dystopic. Look around us, it's not ideal. It's not utopia. We've got climate change, mass shootings, genocide, a sixth extinction. Humans are imperfect. It means we're unable to express or even see one clear truth, if there even is one clear truth out there. So, what if journalism could be about not always having the answers? And what if it really lived up to its idealistic calling to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable? What if journalists didn't just reflect back this dystopic world, but tried to create a better one through the stories we tell? So everyone, these are my imperfect human stories about being a reporter. My questions about what it means to tell stories from somewhere and questions about reality and hope and dystopia. Hopefully we'll get to answer some of your questions too. This is The View From Somewhere, a podcast about journalism with a purpose. Coming up in the next episode. So he's standing on the corner and, and with his pen and pad and then that also felt like insane to me. I'm like, boy, what are you doing out here with just a pen and a piece of paper? They are shooting bullets. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? The view from Ferguson, Missouri, 2014, and how Black Lives Matter changed everything. I'm Lewis Raven Wallace. I'm on Twitter at Lewis Pants. You can order my book, The View From Somewhere, by going to viewfromsomewhere.com. And we owe a huge thank you to everyone who donated to our Kickstarter. You made this show possible. We're so excited. The View From Somewhere is distributed by Critical Frequency and produced by Ramona Martinez, who's right here. Hey, Ramona. Hey, Louis. Our original music is composed by Dog Bodic and additional music by Poddington Bear. Thanks to Cheryl Duvall, Billy B, Scout Rose, and Olivia Stovacek for feedback. Thanks to WUNC for use of their studios. And a special thanks to editorial consultant Phyllis Fletcher. The View From Somewhere is an independent podcast meaning we pay for studios, archive tape, and production costs. If you believe in what we're doing, please visit viewfromsomewhere.com and click on the donate button to help us finish our season. And tell everyone you know about The View From Somewhere. You can also boost our signal by reviewing us in the iTunes store. See you next time.